where we're going to continue our series, our summer series through the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah and the great adventures in the deep. Uh, you would think that the story ended last week in chapter 3. You know, chapter 3 ends on a very high note. Uh, after Jonah preached, the king and the people of Nineveh repented. And verse 10 says this, When God saw, that they, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. What a powerful verse. The case closed. Everything's done. Jonah preached the message and the people responded. Preachers live for these kind of moments. One, where people are awake and listening. Hope you're awake and listening now. Two, that the people actually understood what Jonah was preaching. And three, they actually took action. They responded. And this is where you celebrate uh, maybe take a victory lap around Nineveh. You know, go have that meal that you've been thinking about all morning and even possibly take a nap. This is one of the uh, best moments for a preacher. Or maybe even when Jonah returned back to his homeland, there'd be cheering and praising, returning from a job well done. And he's declaring to the people as he returns back from this successful mission, remember that promise our founding father Abraham uh, received where God promised them that he would be a blessing to the nations. How through us that we would communicate and expand the very goodness of God, be instruments of grace in a dark place. What has happened now, our once enemy uh, enemies, the Syrians, the Ninevites, have come to the Lord. They have turned from their evil ways. Imagine the celebration. We would expect that in Jonah 4. But instead, none of those things happen, and we get what Jonah 4 really is. It's a heartbreaking tale of the magnitude of depravity in Jonah. And it actually is showing the magnitude of depravity in each of us. At this point, if we can't find ourselves in this story, not as the hero, but the runaway that judges, we kind of miss the point of this book. See, Jonah is not merely a book about judgment, justice, or obedience, but it actually is a book about pursuit. And if we can't recognize that we need someone to pursue us because we just can't save ourselves, we miss uh, the whole point of the book of Jonah. And more importantly, we miss the whole point of the gospel we talk about, that we can't understand that we can't save ourselves, but there's a God that who pursues us. Back in 2009, Tiger Woods was at the height of the golfing world. He was winning major after major uh, and just had this national and even global uh, reputation of being maybe possibly one of the greatest golfers of all time. He was also living in Orlando at the time, right near where I was serving at one of the, uh, serving as a pastor in one of the churches. And in 2009, uh, his life began to unravel. Uh, story after story uh, came out of his infidelity uh, and eventually ended with him checking into a 45-day rehab. Uh, it was a shocking story around the world, uh, but it felt a little more personal as we were living in Orlando at the time. And I remember gathering with some local church pastors for a meeting, and one of uh, the older senior pastors stood up and began to share about Tiger. And at that moment, I thought he was going to start talking about uh, 
condemning the sinfulness of this man's action and the reputation that he had. But he chose to share something else. He stood up and said, you know, there's a little bit of tiger in each and every one of us. That if we choose to ignore or condemn, rather than examine our own hearts for self-deception, self-indulgence, self-justification, we could find ourselves on a similar path. See, the book of Jonah is not just about the Ninevites, those sinners. It's about God's relentless pursuit of Jonah and ultimately God's relentless pursuit of us. So we're going to examine kind of those three things uh, that God wants to walk us through, through the book of Jonah and especially chapter four. A heart exposed, a heart hardened, and the posture of God through it all. A heart exposed, a heart hardened, and God's posture through it all. A heart exposed. Verse 1 says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Seemed very wrong, and he became angry. This is in response to verse 10 that we just read earlier. When God relented his punishment toward the Ninevites, Jonah became angry. And the Hebrew is a little more explicit. The literal translation says this, it was evil to Jonah and a great evil, and it burned to him. Jonah thought it was evil. One of Israelite's greatest kings, uh, a few hundred years before Jonah, was King David. And he was chosen as king because he was a man after God's own heart. And what that means is that David was someone who was aligned to the things that God cared about. So David failed in some monumental ways in his life, but at the core of who he was, he was someone who was chasing after what God was chasing. And this couldn't be further from the truth for Jonah. See, when God's grace and mercy and his very goodness falls upon the people of Nineveh, Jonah sees it as evil and it burns within, within him. And in that moment, his heart becomes exposed. See, you can hide it for a pretty long time, but eventually your heart becomes exposed. I've shared many times with you all that I, I used to live overseas. And when I lived abroad, we would take people that were visiting or uh, new teammates, part of our team that were coming for the first time, uh, to these huge uh, markets in our city. Here you could buy anything and everything from TVs to uh, clothes to even medicine. And if you love shopping at Costco on a Saturday morning before a holiday, uh, this market is for you. It is pandemonium. And a popular vendor at one of these uh, markets was a person who sold North Face backpacks. North Face is a popular U.S. brand uh, known for its quality uh, for hiking, but also kind of just using on a day-to-day -day basis. And every person that would come uh, would get drawn in and enticed by this vendor. And uh, they would be enticed because of the, the brand, but also how cheap it was. It was about a tenth of the cost you could find in the States. And on, on close inspection, it looks every part uh, legitimate, like a true North Face backpack. And almost everyone to a T, when they bought it, they would turn and look at me and say, you know, I know a lot of these are fake, but I think this could be the real one. Uh, it may have taken a week, uh, a month, and for the unlucky few, just a few hours, they quickly found out they were not 
real as a stitching came apart or a strap would come loose. See, we're all eventually exposed. And what we do in that moment of exposure can have a huge impact on the trajectory of your life. See, if we can admit that we failed and turn from our ways, uh, life changes, or we can let our hearts become hardened. See, the Ninevites saw where they were wrong and changed, but Jonah, he let his heart get hardened. And we see that in verse two and three. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. A heart hardened. See, this is what I like to refer to. Uh, it's a very theologically uh, technical term we find, uh, and this term is a temper tantrum. Jonah throws a temper tantrum, and there's three classic components. There's blame shifting. It's your fault. God, it's your fault that this is happening. Two, there's distortion. He begins to distort the very words of God, the character of God. And third is dramatization. Better for me to die than to live. This has become such an issue. I'd rather die than to go on. Now, if you have children, I know you can relate with that third part. Uh, kids, I'm actually not talking about you. I'm actually talking about the parents in the room. Uh, how many of you, because I know I do it, are part of a 14-hour car ride, and you're about four or five hours in, and you said these words, if you don't stop yelling, if you don't stop fighting, I'm going to turn this car around and go back with no intention of actually turning around. We make these uh, dramatic statements. We all do it. See, there's a deep foolishness to Jonah's tantrum because it's not with a person, but it's with God himself. His heart is so hardened, it doesn't take a posture of humility to the author and creator of all things, but one of superiority to God. A hardened heart blinds you to the things you say, the things you do, and even the things you believe. We begin to believe the narrative that the world revolves around our beliefs, our values, our interests, and anything contrary to that is seen as evil. That's exactly what Jonah believed. Rooted in a sense of anger was that somehow God would allow his enemies, the Assyrians, these Ninevites, to be somehow included into the promises that he believed were reserved only for the Israelites. It was unthinkable to Jonah that the same grace, compassion, and love that he enjoyed as an Israelite could be extended to the Ninevites. He had drawn a line in the sand and said, if you aren't like me, you don't belong. Instead of building a bridge to extend that message, he built a wall to preserve his identity. It was more important for him to preserve that Israelite-ness than to extend God's grace and compassion to others. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where have our hearts become hardened? Where have we been led astray? Where are we blinded like Jonah? In his commentary in the book of Jonah, Pastor Tim Keller says this, 
when Christian believers care more for their own interests and security than for the good and salvation of other races and ethnicities, they're sinning like Jonah. If they value the economic and military flourishing of their country over the good of the human race and the furtherance of God's work in the world, they are sinning like Jonah. Those are some strong words. He goes on to say uh, that these people, their identity is more rooted in their race and nationality than in being saved sinners and children of God. If you feel offended or uncomfortable with what I just said, it's okay. I just ask that we keep exploring what God has to say about our own hearts. I can't speak for you. Only the Holy Spirit can expose the ways that our hearts have been hardened, where we've been deceived or distracted or solidified. And as long as we don't resort to blame shifting, uh, distorting God's word, or even making dramatic statements about the church or each other, but rather stay united as the church, the bride of Christ, one body together on God's mission of reconciliation, restoration, and hope, we'll be okay. And it's not okay just because I'm saying so in this moment. It's because the story has so much more to say about Jonah's heart. See, it's not just about what his heart has become. It's actually more important about the God who pursues us all through it, the very posture that God takes in this story. See, see what is God's posture through it all? If we read verse 4 through 11 and the whole book of Jonah, actually, it is one of relentless pursuit. This God won't let up or give up in his relentless pursuit of Jonah and his heart. Every step that Jonah takes away from him, God moves even closer to him. And this is not because of Jonah's obedience or faithfulness, but actually in spite of it. And from an outside observer, it may even appear foolish. And that's exactly what Pharisees uh, thought of Jesus when Jesus began to sit with sinners and spend time with sinners and eat with them. Why is this religious leader spending time with people who are far too gone to be rescued? The tax collectors, the prostitutes, these sinners. Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know how they live their lives? Then Jesus shares a wonderful story in Luke chapter 15, a story about a good shepherd who leaves the 99 to pursue the one, the one that has gone astray. And that's exactly what a relentless pursuing God does. He leaves the 99 to pursue the one. There is no boundary, no history, no scar, no shame that will hold back the love of God who's passionate about you. The voice of the world says it's not worth it. You're not worth it. It doesn't make sense. It's not prudent to leave the 99 to rescue the one. The world says it's foolish and wasteful, but yet God still comes after you. This is the God that Jonah encounters, the God who is patient and guiding toward Jonah. See, the story doesn't end with closure at the end of chapter four because it's more than a story about Jonah. It's a story about us. What kind of people would we be if we believe this to be true? The kind of people that understood the magnitude of the pursuit of God, that there's nothing stopping him as he rushes towards you with his love. And author Donald Miller paints a beautiful picture 
of what that kind of life would look like if we would finally understand the depth on which God loves us. He says this, imagine how a man's life would be if he trusted that he was loved by God. How could he interact with the poor and not show partiality? He could love his wife easily and not expect her to redeem him. He would be slow to anger because redemption was no longer at stake. He could be wise and giving with his money because money no longer represented points. He could give up on formulaic religion knowing that checking stuff off a spiritual to-do list was a worthless pursuit. He would have confidence and the ability to laugh at himself. And he could love people without expecting anything in return. It would be quite beautiful. To see this is how the world changes. This is how our community changes. This is how our marriages change. This is how our relationships change. The beauty in Jonah and the beauty in our story is not our faithfulness, our obedience, or even our morality. The beauty is in the God who pursues us at all costs. And there is a cost. And we see it only in Jesus. See, the pursuit is visible in Jesus but the cost is visible in the cross. See, Jesus leaves everything behind to pursue humanity. He comes to show us the love and the depths of God, to show us how much he loves us. He comes after us, leaving everything behind, emptying himself to come to you. And at the cross, he shows us the cost of that pursuit, his life given so that in God, through him, we could have new life and be reconciled to him. See, the Jonah story is our story. See, the Jonah story is our story. And remember this, if nothing else, through our series. The story of Jonah is not about Jonah and the giant fish. It's a story of a giant God who pursues us with a relentless pursuit to seek after our heart so that we could be united with him once again. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and the beauty of the scriptures that shows us not just historical facts, not just doctrinal truths, and not just ways that we should live our lives, but a love letter showing us the depths of love that you have for us, that you would give up heaven itself to come and pursue us. And Lord, whatever walls we've put up, whatever boundaries we've created, Whatever things we want to hide, let it that come to light so that your gospel, goodness, and grace can show us the depths of how much you want us to be part of your world. Lord, thank you for all things. Your son, Jesus, who lived a life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve. And through him, we could have new life, a new heart, and be a new creation and to bring that redemption to the world around us. We pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.